You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. So being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Remember to read over these resolutions once a week. This is a quote by Jonathan Edwards. He was a popular theologian in the later years of the Protestant Reformation, so around the, the middle 1700s. His most notable works is a sermon he gave at his home church in Northampton called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And then he had his resolutions. And his resolutions were 70 different things that he resolved to do every single day in regards to his spiritual life. And so that preface that I just gave you, he would read that once a week with his 70 resolutions, and he would essentially check himself to see if he was living his life to the fullest for the kingdom of God. And so Jonathan Edwards, he strived to keep his life focused on the things above. And so today, with our main passage, Philippians 4, 4 through 9, that is what we are going to look at. We are going to see how we can keep our life focused on the things above. We're going to see how Paul urges the church of Philippi to keep their eyes and their actions looking above. And we'll see that Paul spends the entire book of Philippians giving encouragement to the church, even though there were some minor conflicts. And so Philippians 1, 3 through 6, this is Paul addressing the church at the very beginning. He says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so Paul starts off his his letter to the church of Philippi with joy. There's joy flowing out of these these three verses. And so since we just celebrated Thanksgiving, we're going to look at a passage that offers encouragement in our faith, and it gives a great practical example on how we can find peace. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Our our thematic question, how do I find peace? How do we find peace? And peace is something that we as Christians can cling to today. Especially today, where no one seems to have peace. In a time where there is constant turmoil in the Middle East. In a time where prices for everything are at an all-time high. When mental illness runs rampant. And then we see specifically at the holidays, depression skyrocket. And so with all these things that are going on in our life, how do we ever find peace? And so I'm going to pray and then we will read our main passage. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for just the ability to come to church. Thank you for the time of worship and the, and the amazing uh, budget meeting that we just had. We thank you for the generosity of this church. But I just pray that as we go through Philippians 4, you just open our hearts to see that if we struggle with anxiety, that if we struggle with any type of mental illness or just stress or depression in the holidays, I just pray that we can cling to this verse and know that no matter what we do, we can rejoice because you give us peace. And Lord, we thank you for this in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, I'll give you just a second to turn there. Or you can look at the screen. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things in the God of peace will be with you. And so Paul starts off this passage with a proclamation. And this proclamation is going to encapsulate what he is about to talk about. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And it's almost as if Paul is about to tell us how we are going to find peace. But before he tells us, he wants to let us know that no matter what the situation we are in or the situation we're going to be in, we can rejoice in God for his blessings always. He doesn't just say rejoice in the Lord. He says rejoice in the Lord always. And then for more effect, he says it again. Again, I will say rejoice. And so before we get into the actual meat of the passage that we're going to be reading, I want to tell you that your peace isn't going to be defined by your happiness. And so Paul says, rejoice. But let's, let's look a little deeper. This is the first um, two verses of our main passage. Again, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So how do we find peace? Point one, we find peace through a life of prayer. Super simple, right? We hear this all the time. Find peace through a life of prayer. And now we, we just finished a short series on anxiety a few months ago. But what is the most common illness on this earth? It's anxiety. But there's a correlation here when we're talking about anxiety today because 
the church of Philippi was going through the same thing. Paul is addressing anxiety. And if we want to find a way to counteract our anxiety, we look to the writer of the book of Philippians 2,000 years ago, and he gives us two ways to do that. And that's prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. A constant communication with our Savior is how we fight anxiousness. And we do that when we know the power of our prayer to God. When we know just how in control God is. And what do we learn in Scripture? We learn that God is omnipotent. He can do all things. We learn that He actively invites us to pray to Him. And not just that, we learn that when we actively pray to Him, He listens. And then we learn that He answers. And as we go through life as a Christian, it can be hard to remember that we can talk to God, that He wants us to talk to Him, and also that He listens. But God gives us clear instructions on how we should pray. So if we, if we don't know how to pray, you can turn to Matthew 6 and you get the Lord's Prayer, a outline on literally how you can pray. And then if we're just, if we're weak, we're beaten down by the world and we don't have the words to say, Romans 8.26, we learn that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we don't have the words to speak. And so with the wisdom and knowledge of the power of God, we can cling to the truth that our prayer is heard, that there's power in it, and God is in control. And we see this in Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is in control. But do you believe that today? Do you believe that God is actually in control? Because God being in control does not only help our anxiety. If we go back to our main passage, it says that the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A life of prayer brings forth peace in Christ 
for every situation. And that ties right back to the beginning of Romans 4, when Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. All circumstances we can have peace. But how are we supposed to apply this to our life? Well, for me, I work first shift, so I wake up at 6 a.m. every morning, and I make sure to go sit at the kitchen table and spend time with the Lord. I have learned that the first thing I do, if it is to spend time with God, I tend to have more peace throughout my day. I tend to be more knowledgeable and aware of when I'm spiraling because of stress and anxiety, and I tend to cling to the peace of God that comes from prayer more. And so if you don't have a time where you're spending just a few minutes or a few hours with the Lord, I would urge you, find that time. How do you spend time with God? Do you reference what Scripture says in times of extreme anxiety or hardship? Or do you spiral? Do you spiral out of control into extreme anxiety and stress? And I think the perfect example of this is in 1 Samuel. I know we just finished 1 Samuel and you guys are probably tired of hearing about the life of Saul. But Saul was paranoid. He thought everyone was against him. And he lacked trust in the Lord. It says this in 1 Samuel 22, 7 and 8. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? That all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me. To lie in wait is at that day. Saul thought that his men were against him. Saul wasn't a man of prayer. But when Saul did go to pray, it was only to get something from the Lord, and it was never to get closer to the Lord. And so, likewise, in all of Saul's anxiety, he never actually pursued true holiness. And so knowing this truth, that life is incredibly stressful and complicated, and hardships can come out of nowhere, when we are exhausted, will we do the right thing? Will we pursue the righteousness of Christ when we're anxious? And whether or not we're on anxiety medication or not, there's no problem with that. The answer is still prayer. But Paul doesn't just stop at a life of prayer. He goes even further. Look at Philippians eight or Philippians 4, 8 through 9. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this is a tale as old as time, but we warn and teach our kids not to just be a Sunday Christian. And then when they grow up to their teenage years, we warn them and teach them not to just be a Sunday Christian. And then when we get into adulthood, we warn and teach not to just be a Sunday Christian. We don't want to be hypocrites. As Christians, if we show up on Sunday and we worship God and then we go out into the world and live a life that is not above reproach and we don't put into practice the things that are from above, then we're no better than the Pharisees in the gospel. We're no better than Saul, who we just spent a hundred weeks on. We're no better than the people who are not of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul looks to the church of Philippi and he says, look above, look to the things that are of God. He says, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, things that are true, just, pure, acceptable. When we think of things that are worthy of praise, we think of God and his character and all things that we should strive for in our life. And so how do we find peace? Point two, find peace through a pursuit of holiness. Find peace through a pursuit of holiness. The character of God, the things that are to be praised are things that we strive for. We strive to come to know Christ. And when we grow closer to Christ, our pursuit of holiness is called our sanctification. And if you don't know what sanctification means, it just means that as we go throughout our life, the more we live like Christ, the closer we grow towards Christ, the more holy we become through the works of the Holy Spirit. We grow closer to God. We become more like God. And then when we finally pass away, our perfect sanctification comes to fruition and we will spend eternity with our Lord and Savior. John 15, 4, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruit. Already you are clean because of the world that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. 
our sanctification, our pursuit of holiness is a pruning from Christ as we grow. As we grow, we notice that the things that we used to cling to are snipped away and the things that are holy start to bear more fruit. And in the end, when we have run the good race, we will be perfectly sanctified with our Lord forever. And, and that truth, that truth should put the pursuit of this holiness in the forefront of our mind. It is God's will for you to keep in mind and practice the things that are holy. The things that Paul says are true and just and acceptable and pure. And so when we look back to um, the intro illustration about Jonathan Edwards, his life goal was to become as close to and grow as close to Christ as he possibly could. So much so that he had 70 different resolutions that impacted all aspects of his life that he read once a week to make sure that he was pursuing holiness with a true and reverent heart. And if any of those things were in check, he would pray about it and he would resolve to make that aspect of his life more like Christ. But one warning that, that we have to heed in our pursuit of holiness is big-headedness. In our pursuit of holiness, as we grow more towards Christ, there is an easy way to become cynical like the Pharisees. We, it can be very easy to think of ourselves as more important or more holy than others. Every Christian is working out their own salvation, and it can be easy, easy to become cynical of those who are younger in the faith, who are less knowledgeable. And the perfect example of this, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders and scholars of the day, who knew Scripture forwards and backwards, they would go and call people out, but it wasn't for loving correction. They weren't lovingly calling people out so that they would grow in holiness. They were going and calling people out because they thought they were better than everybody else, they thought they were more holy than them, and ultimately they just wanted to feel better about themselves. And so because of this, the Pharisees, who knew the most, were the most spiritually dead. And so when we, we try to find an example in Scripture of who we should look to, the answer is clearly, we look to the life of Christ. Christ, the one who made us even able to know God and the one who achieved perfection through a full life of always choosing what is true, what is pure, and what is just. His thoughts, his actions, his motivations, his heart were all focused on the things that were above. Christ was perfect and he achieved perfection. And in our life, God calls us to perfection. Our goal is perfection. And through constant diligence, 
our life should reflect what Paul tells us in the church to do. As believers, we must keep our minds and hearts and thoughts on what is just, what is pure, what is excellent, what is of Christ. Philippians 4.9 at the very end of our main passage says, We have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This verse, this verse, Philippians 4.9, is why we should care about a life of holiness. We might think, why do we need to keep our minds on the things that are above, that are pure, that are just, that are true? And the reason is, if we do these things, the God who gives peace will be with us. So let's, let's not just be Christians who only remember the things above when we're by ourselves, or when all of the circumstances in our life are good. When, when normally we would be anxious and stressed out about the deadlines at our work, or when we are stressed or worried about how we're going to pay for all the bills we have, when all of these things stack up, we look to the things above and we still pursue sanctification. Throw your anxiety... Sorry. I tried to say anxiety, but that was the wrong word. Throw your anxiousness on Christ. Throw your worries on Christ. Cast out the burden of tomorrow and look to God. When you're tempted to give in to temptations or when you're struggling with things that aren't pure, look to Christ. And everything we say and everything we do, in everything, the God of peace is there to lead you and guide you closer to Him. And so we... We have Paul who's talking to the church and he's telling them to do all of these things. And I think it's a little fitting to look at the life at the, the end of Paul's life and see just exactly what he did. Did he live out these things? Paul had a long life. He had been on three missionary journeys. He started many churches. He encountered three shipwrecks. He spent days adrift at sea. He was imprisoned. He was beaten and flogged. Yet he wrote 13 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. And at the end of his life, when he knew he was about to die, he wrote to his friend Timothy, his apprentice in the faith, and said this. This is 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you have peace? Do you spend time in prayer thanking God for taking away your anxiety?
do you focus on the things of God that are pure and holy? And if not, if you would like to start, if you don't know Christ and you want this peace, we're about to sing a closing song of worship. And I urge you, spend time in prayer asking God for his forgiveness and ask that he will give you the peace that he promises he will give. So if you have any questions, um, I'll be up front. If you need to pray with somebody, there are elders throughout the entire church. We would love to pray with you. So let's pray and then we'll sing.